people generally feel that it, maybe it's too late to plan because they haven't done all that careful preparation work initially and planning early is obviously better, but planning late is better than not planning at all. I often find that people planning for retirement think they're going to need a lot more money in retirement than they really do. I think there is legitimate concern over whether their money will last, but almost all the cases I've seen, it's an unfounded concern. Welcome to Your Retirement Planning Simplified with your host, Joseph Curry a CFP professional who is going to help you learn how to simplify your retirement planning. This podcast is all about helping you answer those burning questions you've had about your retirement possibilities and making a plan to get there. Through retirement planning education, resources, and expert interviews, Joe will help you get clear on your retirement vision, how to simplify it, and what you'll need specifically to achieve or maintain your financial freedom. Ready to live out your retirement dreams and create future opportunities for the ones you love? Then let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Your Retirement Planning Simplified. I'm Joe Curry, along with my co-host, as always, Lindsay Wilson. Welcome, Lindsay. How are you today? I'm great, Joe. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm excited about our guest today. He's got a number of books out. He's been around our industry for a long time. There were a lot of really good insights packed with information. Dan's a big fan of evidence-based investing, keeping things simple. He's wrote books on retirement. His newest book, which you probably put in his bio here, is actually geared towards millennials. But we focus this conversation a lot on retirement planning, things people should be thinking about as they're prepping for retirement, keeping things simple around investing in retirement. So we hit a lot of really good points. And then we kind of finish off talking about his new book and how our listeners, most of the people listening to this, a lot of them anyway, have kids who are millennials or Gen Z. So kind of some of his tips or things to think about for that generation that we can pass on. So anyway, it was a great conversation. Fantastic. Well, he is a New York Times bestselling author of the smartest series of investing books, the smartest sales book you'll ever read and ask how to relate to anyone. He's been widely praised in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and many other financial columnists, authors, and others. And he's appeared on The Early Show, The O'Reilly Factor, Weekend Economic Review, Fox Business, and CNN's Money and has been interviewed on any number of radio programs as well, including CBS and ABC. And his website is wealthierbook.com, which we will, of course, include in the show notes. Yeah. And so he said that's probably the best place to find him. You can find his new book, find his contact information, all that kind of stuff there. Excellent. Let's jump in. Hi, Dan. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you here today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Joe. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, well, me too. As I was telling you a little bit offline, I mean, I've read some of your books, follow you online, and I just feel like you have a, a lot of good things to say to investors and well, just people in general who are interested in financial planning and investing. So excited to have this conversation. I'm going to ask you a bunch of rapid fire questions, but we'll see where the conversation goes. Sure. All right. So our listeners are generally approaching or in retirement. So we're going to focus some of the conversation around that. One of the things I kind of want to start with is just being around the industry for a long time. What are some of the common misconceptions or challenges you think people face when they're approaching their retirement in general or, or just retirement planning? So I think people generally feel that it, maybe it's too late to plan because they haven't done all that careful preparation work initially. And planning early is obviously better, but planning late is better than not planning at all. 
I often find that people planning for retirement think they're going to need a lot more money in retirement than they really do. There are a lot of options for reducing expenses, downsizing. I think there is legitimate concern over whether their money will last. I think that is a very legitimate concern, but almost all the cases I've seen, it's an unfounded concern. So I think there's a lot of anxiety around that, but I don't think it necessarily applies. Okay. I'm sure that's a bit of a relief for some of our listeners. So when people are approaching this plan and whether they've already started it or they're just getting to it, what are some of the essential factors that they should be thinking about? I think off the top of people's head, they might think, you know, I have to get my investment portfolio set up, but there's typically more to it than that. So what are some of those essential factors people should be considering as part of their retirement plans? I break it down by investments. That's kind of one bucket. And expenses is another bucket. So on the investment side, as you get older, you really can't deal with the extreme volatility of the market. So it's very important to focus on your asset allocation. Most people, but not all, are more comfortable with a more conservative allocation to stocks as they age. A lot depends, of course, on the total amount of assets that you have. But some very wise person once said to me, don't take any more risk than you need to take. So I think asset allocation becomes critical as you're planning for retirement. There are many issues that skilled financial planners like you, Joe, pay attention to when planning for retirement with their clients. And I think not the least of which is kind of lifestyle. I think people tend to focus on income, how much income will I have? But really sophisticated people tend to focus on how am I going to fund my expenses? And that's a function of what are my expenses going to be? Now, Canada is different from the United States because you actually have an intelligent healthcare system, although it's not free of controversy, I'm well aware. But here, at least, healthcare expenses are an enormous contingency that people have to be very concerned about. So where are you going to live? What your lifestyle is going to be like? And overall health, kind of black swan events, death of a spouse, whether you want to leave a legacy to your children or grandchildren, whether you want to downsize to a smaller house, whether you want to move to warm weather. I mean, these are all important issues that people need to confront realistically, whether you have enough insurance, whether your insurance requirements have changed because now you may not have as much need for insurance as you did when you were younger. So those are the things that come off the top of my head. Yeah, I think that's great. It's not necessarily just a very simple process. There's a lot of different considerations. And we've actually done multiple episodes on the show here about thinking about your values and your purpose beyond work and retirement, which kind of helps start leading to those conversations around what does lifestyle look like so that you can start making those other decisions that you just talked about. You know, I don't know if you'll agree with this, Joe, but as I looked into this pretty deeply in connection with my new book, I think there may be an over-reliance on the accuracy of retirement planning because there are so many contingencies involved. How long are you going to live? What's your health going to be? How long is your spouse going to live? What are interest rates going to be? What are the returns on your investments going to be? That I think people shouldn't get overly enamored with technology, software, and, oh, you have a 92% chance of running out of money in retirement, because these are really kind of best guesses. It's almost impossible to plan with mathematical certainty for retirement. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Dan. We've done full episodes talking about that. You can't run a projection based on some assumptions you make today and assume it's going to work out. I mean, you need to stay on top of the plan and, and kind of make decisions as life happens as well. I agree. Now, I don't want to put any dates on you, Dan, but you've been around the industry for a while. What are some of the things you've seen that have evolved in the retirement landscape over time? Well, I think technology is helping. I mean, more sophisticated software programs, those things are helpful. But again, you can over-rely on things like Monte Carlo analysis. I really haven't seen any dramatic movements in the last 10 or 20 years in the retirement planning landscape. I think what advisors do a great job of are, is raising awareness of their clients to what their options are and to how to plan for retirement, maybe involving children, heirs, you know, more actively. But I haven't really seen any major, anything that I would regard as a major development. Okay. That's interesting. You mentioned kind of technology is not the end-all be-all. Well, it can be helpful, but are there any other tools or resources our listeners should know about when it comes to thinking about planning for their retirement? I think what's critical for most people is how their investment portfolio is going to perform. That's the most critical factor. If you ask most retirees, what's your primal concern? They'll say running out of money in retirement. Either if they're single, running out of money during their life, they're married, running out of money during their life and the life of their spouse. We've gotten very good at using historical data to the extent that it's predictive at all and coming up with portfolios that give people a reasonable level of confidence. I think there's still a tendency, in my view, to overcomplicate investing and to overcomplicate portfolios. I'm of the view that investing is actually very simple. The more complicated you make it, the more you're going to increase fees, increase transaction costs, run the risk of overlapping. So I would be focused largely on what I can control. What I can control is my investment asset allocation, global diversification, keeping costs low. I mean, you probably have more experience as a retirement planner than I do, but a lot of the other things fall into categories of things you just can't control. Yeah, no, I would agree 100% with that. I want to come back to some conversation around the investment piece. Before we go there, though, are there any common pitfalls or common mistakes you see people make when it comes to planning for their retirement? I still think that, and I would say the studies I've looked at support this, the primary benefit of having an advisor is to keep you from making emotional, impulsive decisions during times of market volatility. That's what I see as the primary risk for retirees. It's a very unique landscape where you have an entire institution, namely the financial media, of which 95% of it is dispensing misinformation every day, encouraging people to engage in activities that's going to harm their retirement. And a few advisors like you and your colleagues are saying, yeah, this is not very complicated. Stay the course and do nothing. You'll be fine. That's what I think is critical. Most people agree with this who studied it. The greatest harm to your retirement is emotions, is yourself. The markets work just fine over time. The longer you leave them alone, just do nothing. The markets tend to do fine, but it's really tough to stay the course when markets drop 20 and 30%. Your portfolio is down by 40% if you're heavily invested in equities. Yeah. So maybe if we could expand on that, when people are thinking about their investment strategy, 
Can you maybe just back that up a little bit and give a high-level framework for how people should be approaching their retirement investments or the portfolio in general? Well, I can tell you how I approach my portfolio. I'm not saying this is the way everybody should do it, but sure, yeah. I have two ETFs. One is a all-world stock fund, very low-cost ETF, and the other is an ultra-short bond fund because I'm a U.S. citizen invested solely in U.S. treasuries. I have found that to be a very efficient, effective portfolio over time. There are lots of reasons to do other things. If you are a proponent of factor-based investing, that's something you might want to consider. But other than factor-based investing, and even with factor-based investing, you can get a low-cost ETF that tilts towards the major factors. That's how I view investing. Yeah, so pretty simple, really. And I think that to your point, Anyone watching media around investments, I mean, there's all these messages that basically go against all the data, right? The data paints a pretty clear picture on what makes sense from an investing standpoint. And just to back up there, like you were saying, I mean, you're not giving any specific investment advice. Everyone's got to figure this out on their own. But from that high level standpoint, there's a lot of data pointing to kind of where returns come from. And it doesn't have to be overcomplicated. No, it does. I mean, you have some very responsible journalists in uh, Canada. Rob Carrick comes to mind at the Globe and Mail, and there are many others. But you have to sympathize with journalists. They've got to fill up a lot of print every day and buy low-cost ETFs and do nothing. There's only so much you can run with that. I mean, I've been running with it for 25 years, I think. But they have to look for, you know, buy the latest AI stock, the next mutual fund, but this is all very counterintuitive. Investing is a very counterintuitive business because we value activity in life. Like nobody wants a passive child. Nobody wants a passive athlete. We want people to take action, to do things. Jack Bogle says, don't just do something, stand there. It's a great line. And that's what good investing is. Yeah. I find that that philosophy Again, I'm just kind of following the data, staying there, not making emotional decisions, again, which is always easier said than done. But I find that's even harder for people who have amassed a lot of wealth in the sense that they've worked so hard their whole life. And when there's a problem, maybe they're running a business, they could work harder or they could re-strategize. There's always something they could do. They had some control over that. So it's really hard for people to admit that they don't have control over what's happening in the markets. Yeah, that's a very insightful point that you just made. I think there are some interesting psychological things people are successful in life, like somebody could be successful in a plumbing supply business and believe they know more than you do about investing. That's just interesting to me. I mean, one thing has nothing to do with the other, but, you know, investing is a science. There are journals of finance. There are people who write books on investing. It is a skill set that does need to be studied, but it's one of those things that everybody has an opinion on. And their opinions are based largely on what they see, hear, and read. And most of those things are just wrong. Yep, 100%. Now, obviously, you and I both made it pretty clear here, kind of our thoughts. But again, easier said than done for some people, especially, I mean, money can be very emotional. So we know the stock market specifically goes up and down. Is there anything that you would say to our listeners in a way that maybe they can wrap their head around this philosophy of, again, not making rash decisions? I have been studying for the last five years or so neuroscience because I find it absolutely fascinating for how does the brain really work? And it turns out there's two parts of the brain without getting involved in enormous detail, but one processes emotions called the amygdala, 
and the other processes rational thought. So what happens is we can all agree that money is an incredibly emotional subject for many, many reasons. We have no end of psychological baggage about growing up and depending upon what your background is and struggles with money and stress and scarcity and running out of money. So money is a very hot button subject. So now the markets go down, let's say, which they do every three years or so. And I think we've had 20 bull and bear markets the last hundred years. Now the markets go down. Everybody's on television screaming about what's happening and trying to make sense out of this. And nobody's giving you long-term perspective. They're all encouraging you to do something. It's called amygdala hijack. So what happens is that emotional part of your brain takes over from the rational part of your brain. And you actually become incapable of making rational decisions because you're overwhelmed with emotions. There are ways of dealing with that. One is just recognizing what's happening to you. But understanding that the way we react to money is not entirely within our control, but it's largely dependent upon how our brain is functioning. I found that to be a very valuable insight. Yeah, I think that's great. For anyone interested in that kind of stuff, there's a lot of different resources where you can learn more. One book I really liked was Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. I think it is it's a fascinating book and just how we think and make decisions. That's my favorite book. He co-wrote it. I forget the name of his co-author, but a brilliant book. And I think once you understand, like most of us like to think life is rational. It is rational when you understand the neuroscience. Once you understand how the brain works, you can say, oh, I understand what's happening to me. I'm reacting emotionally, not rationally. Let me take a deep breath. And one of the things, this may be a little far out, Joe, so tell me, but one of the things that's really useful is the practice of stoicism, because stoics believe that why are we spending time on things we can't control? Nobody can control what happens in the market. So stoics focus on what can we control? So when you think of investing and stoicism, the two of them go hand in glove. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Well said. So I think maybe the last thing I have as far as investments goes. So we're thinking about this, again, markets are up and down and we know that our brain works in ways that we may not be aware of. So what would you say to the investor listening who's wondering, like, how do I balance the risk? Like you talked about, like, don't take more risk than you need to. So when someone's looking at their portfolio, how should they be thinking about that, that balance of risk? That seems like a simple question, but it's actually complicated, I think, because you could say to a 40-year-old, if we do a rough rule of thumb, you could be 60% in stocks, 40% in bonds. But what you don't know about that person is how they're going to react to market volatility. Can they withstand seeing their portfolio drop by 20%? That's where advisors, I think, play a very critical. People are always debating, do advisors add value? Nobody who understands what advisors actually do would ask that question. Because where advisors really add value is, let me help you determine your asset allocation. But in order to do that, I need to get to know you as a person. And let me take you through some scenarios and show you for each asset allocation, let me show you best and worst years over the last 40 years. Let me give you historical perspective. Then tell me if this happens, can you deal? And then the advisor is asked to do something that's really difficult because most of us will say, oh yeah, I can deal, no problem, until it happens, then there's a problem. So it's really complicated. And that's where I think advisors are in their keep. Yeah, when it comes to investments, it's getting that initial asset allocation, but then the behavioral piece that comes with those 
rocky times for sure. Exactly. Okay. So we're going to switch gears a little bit here. I know you have a new book coming out in April. So maybe first you can just tell us what it's called and then I have a couple of questions for you and we can wrap up with how people can find that. So my new book's called Wealthier, A Field Guide to Financial Freedom. It's geared to millennials, uh, I'd say maybe from 25 to 45. The basic principles really apply to everyone, but it's really geared to people who don't qualify for the minimums of most advisors or for some reason don't want an advisor. And the point of the book is to say, okay, if you're going to be a DIY investor and financial planner, this is well within your expertise, but you need to follow some very basic rules. And the hope is that by putting these people on the right track at first, they then grow into clients who have significant assets and require the services, if they so wish, of financial advisors. But there's a tremendous gap in the marketplace, and I get a lot of inquiries, which is why I wrote the book, from millennials saying, nobody wants my business. What do I do? I just started a new job. What do I do? I have student loan debt. I want to buy a house. Should I buy? Should I rent? I mean, there's so many issues that millennials are confronting, and that's why I wrote this book. Okay, no, that's great. Most of our listeners, as I mentioned, are closer to or in retirement, but most of them have kids who are millennials. Well, as we'd say Gen Z, but Gen Z for you. <laughs> One of the things we've talked about this on the show before too, about, you know, should you gift money to your kids and different considerations. But I think one of the best gifts that a parent can give to their children is financial literacy and that skill of becoming financially independent on your own and not needing your parents. So maybe you could just touch on a couple of key things that you would maybe want our listeners to potentially pass on to their children if they're listening. So one of them is in the world we live in today, and I think this is true in the States, but definitely true in Canada, I mean, house prices are what seems like through the roof, unaffordable for a lot of young people. So what are your thoughts nowadays when it comes to owning versus renting? And then if you're going to own, should you be prioritizing paying down the mortgage or prioritizing investments? Like how do you make those decisions? Okay, so those are really important decisions. I'd say buying a house or renting, these are one of the most important financial decisions people make in their entire lives. Never mind just millennials. Okay. So the first problem is the one you mentioned. House prices are so high that the question is, should I buy or should I rent? You basically do a ratio. I explain this in my book. You calculate what rent is and you do a ratio of what that rent is to the house price. And in very expensive areas where rent is 20 times higher than the price of the house, then you really have to consider renting instead of buying. The sad thing is that there's a lot of good data that indicates that people who can get into the market and buy a house end up with a much higher net worth than those who are renting. I understand the argument. I mean, there are also arguments that houses are expensive, maintaining them is expensive, insuring them is expensive. It's an illiquid investment. But by and large, what I tell millennials is they live in a normal area. For us, it would be like, mid-US, not San Francisco, not New York, not Chicago. If you live in one of those areas, seriously consider buying a house. Then the question becomes, what kind of mortgage should you get and should you prepay or not prepay? These also are multifaceted, not simple questions. So here, at least, the predominant mortgage is 30-year fixed term. There's a lot of data indicating that adjustable rate mortgages make sense for most people. So you really need to educate yourself on the kind of mortgage you're going to get. On the prepay or not to prepay, that becomes a behavioral issue as well. 
the nice thing is Kiplinger's wrote an article with a well-known financial magazine here saying, I've never met somebody who paid off their mortgage and regretted it. And I totally understand that. On the other hand, life takes some weird turns. And if you need capital, you want to have capital to access. So prepaying a mortgage is a liquidity issue. So these things are all multifaceted. They involve a lot of psychological issues, but they're very important issues. There are a lot of rules associated with them. Okay. Any other things that come from the book that you think are important lessons that people should know or that you want to highlight? Well, there are many. The first one that I learned writing the book, although I'd been into this before, was how my brain impacts my actions as I've discussed. Like I was not really aware of the psychological studies that make it extremely difficult for us to confront anything that is a distance from where we are today. Like, we don't think of ourselves as an older person. We don't think of ourselves as ever dying. We don't think of ourselves as ever retiring. We're frozen in time for where we are. It's called temporal discounting. There are some fascinating studies, one from Israel that I recall, where people, they have them hooked up to functional MRI so they can measure how their brain is reacting. And they show them images of other people dying and the brain processes that in one way. Then they show images of them dying and the brain processes it in a way indicating that it's not accepting that as a reality. So retirement planners like you, I think, have to accept the fact that it's going to be a tough call to get young people, particularly somebody who's 25, and we're saying start saving for retirement now because of the benefits of compounding. So the whole brain thing is a big deal. The whole stoicism thing, I really enjoyed relating those two things as we discussed, putting investing in perspective, trying to simplify things. I mean, all of these things kind of came together. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things I'm sure you talk about in the book. So maybe you could just tell us when's it coming out? How can people get their hands on it? And where can people find you? So we have a website for the book called wealthierbook.com. We post reviews that we get, advanced reviews that have gone up for the book. It's coming out in mid-April. It'll be available on Amazon Canada as well as Amazon US. Awesome. The best place to find you is on your website or LinkedIn or where should people go if they want to follow you? Best place to find me is really go to wealthierbook.com. It has all the information about me. And if they're in the media, it has a media kit and it has more than you could possibly want to know about me. Perfect. So we'll make sure all our listeners will get all that into our show notes. Dan, it was a pleasure chatting with you today. I appreciate taking the time to come on the show. Great pleasure to chat with you, Joe. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. Investment services are provided through Matthews & Associates Investments of Aligned Capital Partners Incorporated and approved trade name of Aligned Capital Partners Inc. ACPI. Only investment-related products and services are offered through ACPI slash Matthews & Associates Investments of ACPI and covered by the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Tax planning, financial planning, and insurance services are provided through Matthews & Associates. Matthews & Associates is an independent company separate and distinct from ACPI slash Matthews & Associates investments of ACPI. Matthews & Associates are not licensed tax professionals, and you should consult with your tax advisor before acting on any recommendations. Thank you for joining us for this latest episode of Your Retirement Planning Simplified. Be sure to tune back in for the next episode, and until then, 
We're here to help you simplify and succeed in your retirement planning.